Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And the guys, we just expanded our uh, top draft prospects list from 150 to 200. Uh, We do that every year. And this year we are a little ahead of schedule in terms of when we did that expansion uh, out to 200. And, um, you know, it's a little uh, it's a little different this year because uh, only 160 players we think are going to be taken in the draft uh, in a five round draft. So we're going to be we're ranking players who are uh, some of whom are certainly not going to be taken. Um, but uh, let's let's take a look, uh, Jim and Jonathan. Why don't we take a look at some of the guys? So first of all, this is just an expansion of 150 to 200. The one through 150 did not change. Um, so n- nothing to talk about there in terms of any movement. So let's let's focus a little bit on that 150 to 200 range. And uh, it, there are guys in that range who, looking back at past drafts, uh, will jump up and go uh, earlier than expected and jump up and go in the top 100 picks. We've even had some guys past years go uh, in the first round, uh, or near the first round, um, after having been ranked in that range. Um, why don't you guys, uh, each take a couple of guys from the 150 to 200 range and, and, uh, pick out an intriguing couple of names and tell us a little bit about them. Okay. I'll go, I'll go first. Uh, if it's okay with you, Jonathan, uh, and, and just to reiterate, like when we rank these, we're not trying to line these guys up exactly with where we think they're getting drafted. We're, we're just lining them up based on ability. And, and the two guys that, that I'm going to bring up are, are both, you know, in a five-round draft. They're high school guys. I, I don't know if they're going to get picked. Um, and we'll have to wait and see. They might be might be tough. But the, the first is, a, as Jonathan knows, I like my projectable high school pitchers. And Jacob Mizorowski from Missouri is a guy who, who really kind of flew under the radar. Um, you know, he had a, a hamstring injury last summer. He didn't do a lot on the showcase circuit and didn't really stand out. But then he looked really good in the fall and offseason workouts. He had a really good bullpen before the season started. And then he had no high school season in the Kansas City area. But he, he's 6'6", 190, um, you know, 90, 94 with high spin rate on his fastball. He's got an overhand curveball that's really good at times. He can have a mid 80s slider. It's a distinct different pitch. 
you know, he's still kind of grown into that that six six frame. So the control and the command are in progress as it's change up. But you know, one scout was not saying this is a straight comparison. But if you look at the size and the raw stuff, you could dream and think maybe this guy could be Adam Wainwright. Um, if he doesn't sign, he's going to Oklahoma State. Um, again, you know, this is not the draft to be in if you're the projectable high school pitcher who didn't get a high school season um, with only five rounds. Um, but there are some teams that are interested. In I, I don't know if anybody pops him. And, and then similarly, there's a high school player in South Carolina, Caden Grice, the, the teams that have the algorithms and then they put a lot of emphasis on age. He won't be 18 until after the draft. He, he'll appeal to him that way. And he's just really interesting as a, as a two way guy. He, he's six, six, two forty. I've had guys put 80, you know, top of the scale grades on his raw power. I mean, he can top spin balls out of the park to deepest part of the field. Um, you know, there are, you know, he's a six foot six guy. So the swing's going to naturally be long. So he's going to have to prove he can hit, but it, it's really interesting power. Um, he's not a, he's not a burner by any means, but he's not a base clogger. He, he's, he's a decent athlete for his size. He could probably play the outfield corners. And there's also some teams that they like him as a pitcher. He, he's up to 94 at his best with some sink. He, he can flash you a slider and a fading changeup. He throws some strikes. It's not the greatest arm action, but there, there's a lot of interesting components here to Caden Grice. He's a Clemson recruit. And I, I had one guy kind of draw a parallel again, not a straight comparison, but a parallel to, Joey Gallo coming out of high school who had a kind of a similar profile Although Joey Gallo, you know, was, was throwing fastballs up to 98 miles an hour, but, but those two guys really intrigue me. And it's very interesting. Cause I cannot tell you if I had to bet, I don't know if either one of them gets drafted this year. I feel like that caveat needs to go with almost everything, you know, especially the, the especially those, those guys, I'm going to go one college arm and one high school arm. The college arm is going to go. Uh, figuring out where is is extremely uh, next to impossible, but um, I'm talking about Kevin Abel at Arizona State. Now, after his freshman year, I think everyone was assuming that we'd get to now, and he, we'd be talking about him as a as a you know kind of safe first round college performer. Uh, people who don't remember, uh, he was a huge reason why Oregon State won the college world series uh as a freshman he was their best pitcher uh it was unbelievable in omaha jim can attest to that seeing it firsthand uh but then he needed tommy john surgery as a sophomore so he hasn't really been seen at his best since his freshman year uh, of college so you're drafting him kind of based on that and the hope that He's going to be that guy again. And that guy really knew how to pitch, was super competitive, plus changeup, uh, you know, enough fastball, above average curveball, and good command. So we're not talking like a top of the, the scale guy, top 10 pick kind of guy, but like one of those, you know, if he had three years of track record at Oregon State of pitching really well in big games, He's, I think he, all signs are pointing to him being a first rounder. Now, I, I don't know how you decide when to draft a guy like that uh, with also knowing that he could come back and, um, you know, and, and go back to, our, to Oregon State and show everyone that he's healthy and, and really help himself, uh, you know, of course, if there's baseball next year. My high school arm is from the Northeast. I, li I like my, my Northeast high school pitchers. Um, 
I'm looking at Patrick Riley, who's number 182 on our list. He didn't do a lot of the summer stuff, so he wasn't seen uh, as much as, say, an Alex Santos, who's in New York City and is in, uh, in our top 100. Um, but he was in Jupiter, Florida at Perfect Games uh, Worldwood Bat Tournament and was really, really good. He was up to 96 there. Um, I think a lot of people were excited to put him on a follow list and then see what he did this spring. Um, I think he threw once this spring in the South, very briefly, not enough to get a look, but he's projectable, 6'3", 210 pounds. He's got the, the good fastball with more in the tank, um, shows some ability to spin a breaking ball. Maybe it's a plus pitch eventually. Uh, the changeup is behind, but shows enough in his delivery uh, that they, you know, a lot of scouts think he can get their area scouts, you know, really like him because uh, they know him a little bit better. He's committed to go to Vanderbilt. Um, so we'll sort of have to see what happens there. So he's a guy that kind of fits in that. It wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't get drafted and goes on and tries to find his way into that Vanderbilt pitching staff somehow. Jason, was there anybody as you've perused some of these who struck you as intriguing in the the 151 to 200 expansion? Well, the, the one guy that you know I'm going to make you talk about here, uh, and because it, this is this is a guy who is probably going to be the most recognizable player in that group for the casual baseball fan now, is a, a guy that a lot of people saw pop up on social media uh, over the weekend. Uh, throwing an indoor bullpen uh, and popping a, a 105 miles per hour, a six foot eight lefty Luke Little, uh, also from one of the more recognizable uh, junior colleges in terms of the draft uh, uh, San Jacinto in Texas, which has produced some names that uh, you've probably heard of in Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit. Um, now, obviously, Jim, nobody thinks that Luke is uh, sitting at uh, – 105 in games or, or uh, even topping out at 105 in game action, but uh, nonetheless created a lot of buzz when this happened. And he's obviously a big arm. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah. You know, he's a guy who kind of popped up on radars last year. You know, he's hit 101, 102 in games. Uh, as you know, uh, from my vehement uh, Slack messages, I don't take 105 on a, radar gun that we have no idea how it was calibrated or who was wielding it in indoor workout very seriously. And I don't think teams necessarily do either, but he has hit 101 and 102 in games. Doesn't really hold that velo. Like when he starts, he's usually more 93, 96 after, you know, the, the second inning or so. Um, and he's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a hard guy to figure out. Um, you know, does not have much history at all of throwing strikes or of, of consistency with any of his secondary stuff. I mean, you're you're basically taking a, a six foot eight lefty who can reach triple digits with his fastball and can't always control it. Um, you know, I think most teams, you know, you always get drafted or, or often get drafted by the team that likes you the most. So I won't say that every team sees him as a reliever. But I think it's hard to project him as more reliever, at least the clubs I've talked to, just because. It's kind of a one-pitch Max Velo guy who doesn't throw a lot of strikes. Now, you know, the, the, the positive side to that is if you have a guy, if you take Luke Little this year and he's throwing 100 or whatever in the minors, that's instant trade value too. Like the, the, you could turn that into something, you know, if you're making a trade. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, there are, you know, as, as live as that arm is, 
you know, the best, he's not even the top San Jacinto guy on our list. That would be Brandon Birdsell. And there are guy, there, there are scouts. I think it's probably close to split who think that the best, you know, lefty on that Gators pitching staff is a kid named Mitchell Parker, as opposed to, as opposed to little, but San Jack, you know, if, if these guys are signable because they all can go and play at four year schools next year, could have three pitchers taken in the first five rounds and, and little will go. If he doesn't sign, he'll wind up at South Carolina next year. So I wanted to take a look back. Uh, I mentioned earlier that some, some of these players ranked, you know, 150 to 200 will occasionally pop up and go um, close to the first round in the top 100 picks. And I put a list together, which I shared with you guys, and some of the more notable names uh, that jumped out uh, that have been ranked 150th or lower in our rankings over the past several years um, and then got picked significantly higher. Uh, Dylan Carlson, who back in 2016 was not in our top 200, um, he was in Baseball America's uh, top 100, uh, but just barely uh, at the bottom of that list, and then ended up going number 33 to the Cardinals. Uh, Matt Olson, who was not ranked in our 2012 list, which at the time was only a top 100, um, but he went number 47 to the A's. Brent Honeywell, who was not ranked in 2014, uh, in our top 200, he was 195 on Baseball America's list. Uh, he went number 72 to the Rays. Isan Diaz uh, was number 150 in 2014, went number 70 to the D-backs. And then a couple of years ago, Simeon Woods Richardson was ranked uh, number 160 and uh, went to the Mets um, at number 48 overall. Um Looking back at any of those guys, anyone that stands out to you as you know being able to look back and and anything stand out to you as to why those players uh, were a ranked as lowly as, or as lowly as they were, or, and b went as high as they ended up going. I, I want something in my contract that says that whiffing on Dylan Carlson is no longer allowed to be brought up. Um, I think, listen, he was, he was a kind of a bit of a pop-up guy, a late riser. Um, and, and honestly, I didn't really hear much about him until super close to the draft, um, but just didn't, didn't get the kind of feedback uh, that sort of meant that I, I should have put him on. And clearly, I was wrong. I mean, like I missed on, on that one, and that, that certainly happens. Um, I'd love to tell you that Matt Olson was 101, you know, in 2012, but I, I don't. I don't really remember. And Brent Honeywell, if I recall, that was just like a, a really, you know, uh, obviously the injuries have helped me back, but that was just a very, very good find by the Rays scouting staff. I don't know that anybody else had him where the Rays ended up taking him. Um, you know, but that it, it, it happens, you know, as thorough as we try to be in doing our rankings and, and, and getting a, an industry wide look, um, so it's as thorough as possible. Uh, there's often going to be players that one team is much higher on and they take them and it turns out to be like really, really smart. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, you know, in these cases, uh, especially with, you know, Carlson uh, looking like he's about ready to be in the big leagues and Olsen in the big leagues and, and Nissan Diaz reaching the big leagues. 
um, uh, you, you know, although not with the team that drafted him, uh, you know, those are cases where it looks like it's, it's worked out. I was going to ask um, in regard to Carlson, is, is that potentially, could that be a, a situation where only a team or two had him on their boards as, as high as the Cardinals did? And, and that's why he didn't come up. Is that something that happens often? I mean, I think, I don't know if anybody else was necessarily going to take him in the first round because he went right at the end of the first round. But I mean, Carlson was in the Under Armour game. You know, it wasn't like he was a complete out of nowhere guy. I mean, looking at the list you put together, the next guy on the list, in terms of how high they went, the third highest guy was Blake Anderson, who I covered doing Mississippi that year in 2014. And Anderson was a good defensive catcher who uh, it might have been 29 teams didn't think he was ever going to hit. Um, but the Marlins fell in love with him. And we, I think, had heard some chatter like, oh, the Marlins could go Blake Anderson in the sandwich round. And it was like, whoa, like that guy, you know, that, that, that's really a stretch. And then he never hit in pro ball. Um, you know, the one guy you mentioned on, on my, who was in my domain there, Simeon Woods Richardson, I, I was just light on him. He was interesting because he looked good at the area code games before the 2018 draft. And then his stuff was just kind of more generic for most of the spring, in part because he had a tonsillectomy and he wasn't as strong as he normally was. His stuff, you know, it had kind of had a history of inconsistency. Like, I don't know if there would have been several teams that would have given him $1.85 million. But, I mean, he was he was definitely a dude. And I was going to say, Jonathan on Honeywell, that, that one, like, nobody – you know, really could have had, I mean, BA snuck him into their 200 right at the end at like 195. But the story on Honeywell was he had a series of impressive pre pre-draft workouts right at the end of the Juco season and opened eyes. And there were a couple teams. Like I remember you doing our Cubs stuff. The Cubs told me that they really liked him. They just didn't have enough scouting on him to be able to take him. So I think he got on the radar of a couple teams, but was generally unknown or unscouted enough to take high for, for most of the industry. All right, so let's uh, let's turn our attention back to this year's draft. And uh, Jonathan did uh, our first attempt at a full mock uh, of the full first round a couple weeks ago. And Jim, you are up for this week, and you are working on that uh, possibly as we speak, but you've been working on it uh Today. I'm actually giving you my full attention, Jason, but I was okay. working on it right before I came on the podcast. <laughs> so in, uh, in Jonathan's mock a couple weeks ago, the top five picks were the top five players uh, on our list in that order. Um, and I know you haven't uh, necessarily got your, your set yet, but uh, – How's it looking so far, and what are you finding? Or, or is it more difficult to do this year, considering the circumstances, uh, a month out compared to as it is normal? Yeah, I'm going to go with our top 29 picks in order, one through 29, just because. Uh, um, and I'm being a little facetious here, but no, it is more difficult, just because it's on one hand you might think because teams have been sitting around not able to do much that they would be even more organized than in a typical year, but but. Teams after, I'd say, and Jonathan, you can comment on where it was when you did yours a couple of weeks ago. The first nine picks, I feel like I have actionable intel. Not that I'm going to get all nine picks right this far out, but like I at least am basing it on intel. 
And then I'd say like 10 to 17, it's conjecture. And then 18 through 29, it would be pretty much pure guessing. Um, because you, well, you I, I've, I've tried to talk to teams a little bit, you know, like I worked my way down and you get, by the time you get to the middle of the first round, everybody's just shrugging their shoulders saying, ah, I, I, I have no idea who's going to be here for us. Um, and I'm simply trying to avoid if, if I can get the scouting director from team X to tell me, yes, the guy you're projecting, we would consider taking him. I'm considering that a win. My, my goal for this in the back half or the back two thirds is to not hear from anybody after it posts saying, oh, there's no way we'd take that guy. Um, so that, that, that's my goal. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, usually what happens is you have performances, you know, guys are reinforcing their status with performance or in some cases sliding, you have the old, hey, Theo Epstein was spotted at so-and-so's game. You have, and I think just from a, a, a gossip standpoint, you have agents and team officials bumping into each other at games and talking, and and, and there just isn't any of that. Uh, you know, there's Zoom meetings, but it, it's not quite the same. So, um, yeah, I, I do think the degree of difficulty. I mean, how... I mean, not that certainty is probably way too strong a word, Jonathan, but like how, how would you divide up your actual intel conjecture guessing? I mean, were you kind of in the same ranges when you did yours? I, I'm, I think I got it nailed, 1 through 29. So I'm going to leave my mock as is up until draft. No, um, I, I think that's about right. I think I like I, I tried to reach out to people maybe in the top half of the first round. Um but, you know, sometimes you find someone, you know, at 13 or 16 who has some intel on what's going on one through 10. Right. So, like, I think, yeah, like with you, I felt pretty good. I think there are some like real wild cards in terms of where a guy is going to go that made it a little bit trickier. And then as I went down further, it became a uh, little guesswork. I would occasionally, if, if there was someone I knew really well at a team, I'd be like, hey, I sort of preemptively did what you're hoping not to hear after the fact, right? Where I'd be like, hey, is it possible you would take this guy? Okay, that's good enough for now. Um, because I think that's all they they know right now. But for me, the first guy that I kind of circled as the, I don't know what to do with this guy was Garrett Mitchell. Um the outfielder from UCLA, just because there are so many variables about him. The biggest one, of course, being that he's a type one diabetic and, you know, teams may not want to talk about it, but they'll want to have questions answered about his ability to hold up over 160 games. Uh, and there's not a lot of track record of everyday players who've done that. Sam Fold is one. Mitchell was not the same kind of player necessarily. And Fold was a good major leaguer, but you know, not a guy who was a top 10 pick kind of guy. So, you know, he's, he's had some injuries. Uh, he hadn't really shown any power uh, as a as a college player until the beginning of this year. It was really starting to come together. But tools-wise, he belongs in the top five, pure tools-wise. So he was the first one that I'm like, I really don't know what to do with him. And I feel, you know, I think, you know, every time, even on draft day, right, certain guys are like, I, I got to get him off the board. Otherwise, it's going to make the rest of the first round completely messed up yeah no i think that's fair and i, I think the, the other guys who are extremely difficult are the high school pitchers um when you did your mock you had all three of them well the, the best high school pitchers mick abel jerry kelly nick bitsko going in the top 14 picks 
and I will have none of them going in the top 14 picks, at least my current iteration. And, and those guys, honestly, I mean, that's just a wild card. I, I, you know, I, if they fall far enough, then you have to overpay them. You know, high school pitchers are considered risky to begin with. Two of those guys didn't even pitch in a game this year. You know, as we've talked several times about Bitsko, he reclassified after the showcase season. So guys saw him. I mean, his East Coast pro outing was was tremendous. But it's like you weren't ever bearing down on him because you thought he was a 2021 guy. So I think those guys, and I agree with you about Mitchell, are, are huge wild cards. Garrett Crochet is another one, a guy who has stuff that could put him in the top six or ten picks. But, you know, that elite, elite stuff, he he made a huge jump in the fall, and then he was held out for three weeks as a precaution and pitched three innings, and that's it. So, you know, if you want to go all in on Garrett Crochet, you're, you're doing it on a very limited sample size. So it's it's going to be interesting. I've, I've um, plotted down through 24 picks. You know how I – it's we talk about this every time, Jonathan, when we do mocks, especially this early, and I would say even more so this year when there's less like even gossip going around. One of our favorite guys to talk to, I won't say him here and out him on our podcast. I reached out to, and he's like, "Yeah, I just haven't heard anything yet this year, which is unheard of in in, in May because um, it, it's still too early." But you have this weird dichotomy where it's like, uh, you know, this is futile. You know, I'm just guessing. And then at the same time, well, I don't want to just have a guess. It's like totally outlandish. So, you know, trying to, you know, the, the, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of putting the mock together, they're both warring, but I have plotted down through 24 and I will confess while Jonathan was talking about Garrett Mitchell, I did receive a text about a pick in the twenties telling me that my guess was, was reasonably educated for that team. So I, I am working on the mock the podcast. So Yes, lock lock them in, lock them. You have to do that. that. I think it was the back end of the first round when I always would appreciate the. Well, you know, I saw their general manager at that game. I'm like, okay, that works. That, yeah, yeah. And, you know, now and it's so, like, was the general manager on the Zoom meeting? I don't know. So, <laughs> right, right. We need Zoom intel. I think they had a problem with that actually. Um, Zoom bombing. So- so, uh, Jim, you mentioned that, that Jonathan had uh, the three high school pitchers going in his top 14 and you would not have any of them. Uh, does that mean that as things stand now, and I know this is subject to change because you, you haven't actually uh, completed this yet, but do you, you have only one high school player in, the, in your top 15? Is it looking like? Mm, no, I have, I have one high school. You mean you counting hitters? No, I, I have one. Hold on a second. There's one. Uh, I'm looking at the wrong spot. I'm looking at too many spreadsheets. I've got one, two, three high school pitcher. I had three high school position players in my top 15. Okay. So this will be consider considerably different than, than Jonathan's. I, I asked that. After the he, first few picks. <laughs> so. Yeah. He, he had only uh, beyond the, the three uh, high school pitchers that you mentioned, he had uh, – Veen, who I assume will be in, in your top 15 as well. And then at number 15, he had uh, Robert Hassel. Well, he had Hendrick, too. He has Hendrick. Yeah, Hendrick at 13. Yeah. I, I will have the same three guys in my top 15. That's just Jason hating on Pittsburghers. It's okay. <laughs> but when we, we could frame this. I will have all three of those guys ranked in the top 12. And Jonathan had Hendrick at 13 and Hassel at 15. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I can yes. see that. Easily. I mean, it's, it's all very fluid. I, I'm looking at this. 
I think our top, not not the exact picks, but you had Mick Abel going eight. But I think eight of our top, I think eight of of the top nine picks, eight of them will be the same, albeit in a slightly different order. How about this, Jim? I know when Jonathan did his, he had one player uh, who's ranked well outside of the, the top 29 in our rankings who he included in his mock, and that was Carson Tucker, who was uh, ranked number 52. Is there anyone along those lines for you who uh, could sneak into the first round in this mock that's ranked well outside of, of that range? No, I think I've not figured out my last five spots yet. I think the lowest guy will probably wind up being Nick Lofton, who's ranked at 36, who Jonathan had going to the Twins at 27. And and I may wind up putting him in the exact same spot. Now, you know, if we were talking possibilities, I, I think Wake Forest left-handed Jared Schuster, who we have at 78, could go in the first round um, to someone, to the right team in the right situation. He would probably be the lowest guy. Again, I'm not going, I don't think I'm going to project Jared Schuster going the first round. He would probably be the lowest guy on our list that as of right now, I could see going in the first round. Yeah. I'm just looking at this. I, I think that, I think that is, that is correct. All right. So Jim's uh, first full first round mock draft will be, uh, going up tonight, so keep an eye out for that, um, guys. Let's uh, let's now return to uh, something we haven't talked about for the past couple of weeks because we took a couple of weeks off because of the way that uh, these stories were rolled out. But we have, for the past several weeks, been piggybacking along with our team beat writers who have been putting out their list of uh, the top players of all time at each position for their clubs. And the way they did that was to break the, they broke down their outfield uh, by position, left field, center field and right field. And we just did one group of outfielders. So we took the past couple weeks off um, in terms of this story series. And now we've returned to do our outfield list. And uh, this is obviously a, a little bit different, because of the fact that we're uh, just doing 30 players and team reporters, we're kind of comparing them to 90 different players. Um, but a, a pretty interesting list, um, both in terms of uh, the team all-time best outfielders and the top prospects uh, of the past 20 years, which is what we've been doing. We've been looking back at the top prospect at each position over the past 20 years for each team. And uh, as this list um, kind of headlined by that uh, very impressive 2005 draft crop, um, which on this list alone includes uh, Upton, Mabin, McCutcheon, and Bruce. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, uh, okay, Jim. I was. I guess we're going to associate the same thing. I mean, everybody talked about how great that outfield class was at the time. I want to say all three of all of them, except for Mabin, who was hurt, I believe were at the Futures game the next year. Um, and I, I went back and looked, and, and the, the the fifth guy who didn't quite go in the first round, he didn't quite make this list. But Colby Rasmus w- w- was like the the fifth 
the fifth amigo, if you were, and he wound up having a pretty nice career too. I mean, it was uh, that th- that was the 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 draft for high school outfielders to be sure. Yeah, and I remember seeing Maven in the Florida State League All Star game. They did a skills competition, and they did a thing timing guys going from home to third. I'm not sure why that was what they decided. Um, and I don't have like what to compare it to, but it was insane. And I just, you know, uh, and that was, I guess, his second full season. Um, you know, and, and obviously he's not been quite as successful as McCutcheon or Bruce, uh, even though he went first in that trio, 10, 11, 12 in that draft. Um, but uh, it's sort of fun to, to see all four of those guys, starting with Upton, who was the clear choice for number one pick in that year's draft, um, you know, along with, the, with those three guys landing on on this list and you know McCutcheon and, and Upton are also on the all-time outfield list for their for their teams yeah and by the way uh two guy, two other guys from that draft class from the top half of that first round who uh, were not outfielders at the time but are both on uh their team's list of uh of uh, the best outfield of all time Alex Gordon is the uh Royals best left fielder of all time, uh, according to uh, uh, Flanagan's story. And um, then uh, Ryan Braun, the number five pick in that draft, uh, is the uh, best left fielder of all time for the Brewers. And both of those guys at the time were, uh, they, they were both third basemen at the time, correct? Yep, and you could also throw in, I mean, he was an outfielder, but another outfielder from that draft who just missed making his team's best outfield prospect uh, designation was Jacoby Ellsbury. I mean, Andrew Benintendi was our number one prospect a couple years ago, but Jacoby Ellsbury, I think, was as high as 13 on an MLB.com list at one point, and he also was part of that 2005. I mean, which... We talk about the 2005 draft all the time. I mean, at the time, people thought it was a great draft. And, and you know, it, it, that was your, your once-in-a-decade draft that you get in the, you know, you got in the 2000s. I think last decade, it was probably 2011. And it's early. And this draft isn't as good. But the depth of the 2020 draft is pretty impressive. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if this winds up being the best draft of the decade or, or something surpasses it. Yeah, you know, uh, I looked back uh, earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, I took a look back at uh, the top 10 picks in the draft over the history of the draft and looked at the combined war for those players, looked at how many uh, of the top 10 players made it to the big, top 10 picks made it to the big leagues. Um, This ended up being a, a part of a trivia question in our draft trivia that we put out. Uh, a couple days ago, but there there have been six occasions in which all 10 of the top 10 picks have made it to the big leagues. The last time it happened was in 2011. Also happened in 2008. Prior to that, you have to go all the way back to 1986. Um, there was a, a six-year span where from 1981 to 86 where the top 10 made it, uh, each of the top 10 picks made it to the big leagues three times in that six year span. And the first time it happened was in 1976. And if you look at the overall combined war 
of those 10 players, the best top 10 in history uh, based on that was the 1985 top 10 that has a combined war of 346. Um, but it does look like the uh, cl that class of 2005, the top 10 from that class will uh, currently third in terms of all-time war. It looks like they will uh, eclipse number two, which was the 1986 class. But uh, yeah, that, that class, uh, the 2005 class has been uh, rightfully much ballyhooed. And I've always found it interesting that, you know, with both 05 and 11, I mean, usually when we talk to, to scouting directors to do our fall overview for when we do a top 50 or top 100 draft list in the fall, like, you know, everybody, you know, it's usually, ah, it's okay, or it's mediocre. I think if they were putting grades on it, most years would feel like they were 45. But both in 2005 and 2011, I mean, guys knew, like, even before the year started, this is going to be a special year. And then they were right. You're looking at the, the top tens, um, Jason, and that. And, like, Andrew McCutcheon, who has a higher award than Justin Upton, doesn't even count in that. And as, as Jim pointed out, a lot of guys who came later on in the round, and that's just the outfielders. You know, I think, what, was Matt Garza a supplemental first-round pick in 05? I mean, they're, they're like, it, it, it would go on and on and on. Like, I think if you were to stack it up beyond the top ten, it would be an interesting comparison, too. When you guys were uh, – let's talk a little bit about um, some of the players on our list of the, the each team's best outfield prospect over the past 20 years. It's uh, a lot of guys who were top five overall prospects, uh, several number one overall prospects. Guys who were number one overall at, at one point uh, include Delman Young, Andrew Benintendi, Byron Buxton, Mike Trout, Jason Hayward. Jay Bruce, uh, some other guys that were top five overall, Cameron Mabin, Eloy Jimenez, Bryce Harper, Dominic Brown, Oscar Taveras, Corey Patterson, a bunch of really, really elite prospects. Yeah, I mean, they, they really stuck out. I mean, they, they were so elite. I think I was telling you guys before we came on, the one that, like, shocked me on the other end was I have the Giants, and the Giants have only had one outfielder rank in the top 50 prospects and, and that was Gary Brown, who snuck in at 48. You know, but you compare it, I, I would think, I don't think we tallied this up. I mean, it's got to be something like like 20 or 25 of these guys were, were top 10 overall prospects in the game or didn't miss by much. Um, uh, you know, so it's, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if that, I, I, you know, you, you often ask us, Jason, does that surprise you? And I, I, don't, I guess I don't often think about that stuff beforehand, but I guess not because in this case, because, you know, outfield is a position where you can showcase a multitude of tools. And a lot of these guys on here were, were five-tool players or close to five-tool players. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's it. You know, when looking at the list as a whole, it's just so many guys who have, all, you know, so many tools. Um, and even, you know, you know, guys beyond the top five, it's, they were ranked as highly as they did because we thought or – Scouts thought that they would get to the big leagues and show off all five of them. Now, it hasn't always worked out that way. Um, most of these guys have gone on to at least some kind of big league career, though not all of them. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and then some of them, you know, still sort of waiting and seeing what's going to happen. Obviously, Byron Buxton, who was 
number one on our list forever. That was about the the easiest one to write up in terms of most hype prospect. You know, he was number one on our list five different times. So um, he's still very much. Uh, let's see what happens if he can stay healthy. So you know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, guys like him or a guy like Eloy Jimenez who's just getting started out. Um, you know, but uh, it, it was sort of interesting to see how high this guy gets. The flip side is a guy like Dominic Brown of the Phillies, who was really, really hyped at the time, number four prospect, and just it never clicked in the big leagues. Um, and his last spot it was playing in the Mexican League. So, um, you know, that's sort of both sides of that coin. It's funny you, you uh, refer to Buxton as being still very much let's wait and see. And uh, it's crazy to think that he's still only 26 years old. Um, you know, I, I just happened to see his age um, a week or so ago. And I thought, well, hang on a second. This, he, there are several players on Team Top 30 prospects lists who are older than Byron Buxton. And uh, I can't remember whether I posed this question to you guys, but if you had to guess, how many players on Team Top 30 lists are older than Byron Buxton? Like currently? Currently. Out of 900 players? Uh, you, did, you did pose this question, and I was really close, and I've already forgotten what my guess was. And I didn't answer because I think Jonathan was close. I'll say 11. Uh, it's 21. Jonathan guessed I've, – I've, Looked it up while you while you were uh, looking oh at goodness. Jonathan guessed eighteen, and yeah, it's twenty one. Okay. So, yeah, we did. Wow. Uh, you know, we we talked a little bit before we started the podcast about the fact that most of the guys on our list did and you know did have or are having solid to very good to you know, Mike Trout careers. Uh, there were only a few that you could call out and out busts. Um, a few of the guys who didn't live up to expectations, who were highly ranked, um, Travis Snyder, uh, looking down the list here, Lastings Millage, um, Lewis Brinson has not lived up to expectations to this point, but still uh, has obviously a, a chance to turn that around. Gary Brown that you talked about earlier Jim, but that's that's really about it. Uh, Oscar Tavares, obviously, uh, tragic death before he had a chance to fulfill his great promise. Um, he was the number three overall prospect in baseball uh, leading up to to that time. And uh, that, someone has Corey Patterson highlighted, uh, aggressively highlighting in the uh, Google Doc. Because <laughs> uh, he's kind of on that cusp of not quite being what I think a lot of people thought he would be, right? He, he wasn't what people thought he would be, but but since I wrote him up, I was actually surprised when I looked at this. Without looking, do you know how many years he played in the big leagues? Well, since you're asking, I'm going to guess more than I thought. Nine. Twelve. Wow. Oh. And, he, and, and not now, his total career war is not super high, but I mean, he had 10 war, and there aren't that many players in a typical draft to get to 10 war total. Now, granted, that's not a great average per year, but but you're right. I mean, it, he and like I always thought for the Cubs, he was kind of those those Cubs teams that, you know, he was hurt in 2003 when they almost went to the World Series. They didn't play in the playoffs. 
And then he was on that team that just he had his best year for the Cubs in 2004. But the, but the problem with Corey was they got him to the big leagues so quick. I mean, when, when the team was really bad and rebuilding. And it like I always felt like they did him a disservice because it was like, okay, he needs to control the strike zone better and draw more walks and improve his bunting and improve his routes in the outfield. But yet they could have constantly promoted him without ever making him do those things. So it's like, we've all had kids. We all have kids. If you tell your kid, you have to do this, you have to do this, but then your kid realizes there's no consequences if I don't do this, they probably aren't going to do that if, you, if you're rewarding them anyway. Uh, and I always felt that that was kind of what happened to Corey, that he, was, he got to the big leagues at age 20 and was an everyday player at 22 during this season, which he walked 19 times and struck out 142. And while he, he did improve, like he, you know, he was, he was a big league regular before he was anywhere close to being a, a fully polished player. And as a result, he, he never got anywhere close to fully polished. Jonathan, were there uh, any interesting uh, decisions you had to make when you were choosing from your, your 10 teams? Yeah, I think the biggest, the only one, the biggest to say that I really thought about was Mike Trout. No, I'm just kidding. Um, was the was, was the Braves? Uh, you know, and there were some, as I wrote, you know, recency bias. So Ronald Acuna Jr., who sort of took the world by storm in a hurry, um, and then was in the big leagues, and he's done what he's done. And then there was Jason Hayward. And, you know, combination of recency plus the hype machine is so much louder now, as we've discussed because of social media that I paused. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you were to poll people and think, who do you think is going to end up having the better career, you know, Jason Hayward or Ronald Acuna, when all things are said and done, most people would pick Acuna now based on his first two years. But, um, you know, I, Jason Hayward was a really hyped prospect who was on radars for a while. He was our number one prospect. You know, Cunha wasn't even on our top 100, moved on very quickly. And that, that was the year that he went from A ball to AAA. And then, you know, suddenly he was in the big leagues and like there wasn't time for him to adjust in, in a lot of ways. But uh, at the end of the day, when once I sort of took those uh, those glasses off and 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 looked at it, Hayward was the guy to go with, but that one was probably the, the closest one for me. No, as you say, the most interesting one for me was the Marlins actually were the opposite of the Giants. They had four outfielders who ranked in the top 10 with, I think, sequentially Jeremy Hermida, Cameron Mabin, Giancarlo Stan, and Christian Yelich. So they, they were the one team that there were a, a multitude of choices for. The uh, I think the the major league version of the Marlins in that case, in, in looking at the uh, left fielder, center fielder, and right fielder, greatest of all time for each team, uh, I hadn't really considered it. I hadn't given it any thought, but as I was filling them in here for into our spreadsheets for comparison purposes, I was surprised to find that uh, only one team has uh, a Hall of Famer at all three positions, and uh that, that team or franchise being the Expos slash Nationals. And I think actually it first caught my eye because I saw Bryce Harper uh, was our pick and that he was not one of the, he was not a player who was on both lists. And then I looked to see that, well, he, that's a pretty tough outfield to crack. Um, but Tim Raines, Andre Dawson, and Vladimir Guerrero. Um, 
If you if you guys could take any one outfield, looking at the at the list here, those are three Hall of Famers. But uh, there there are, I think nine other teams that have at least two Hall of Famers. A couple teams that have two Hall of Famers plus guys that uh, you know have Hall of Fame numbers but are not in the Hall of Fame. Which outfield are you taking here? I'm going yeah. Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, yeah. Mel Ott. What's that like? You're not. Yeah. Two thousand home runs right there, almost. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a. I mean, you want to make an argument for Billy Williams, Hack Wilson, and Sammy Sosa? Okay. I mean, Kiner, McCutcheon, and Clemente is a pretty good trio. Well, here's the question for you, Jonathan. Which one is the best? Barry Bonds is better than Ralph Kiner for the Pirates. Come on. I'm not arguing that. I'm, I'm saying that. I know, I, I know you didn't make the list, but it's uh, – I, I, you know I always have oh, to get – you're, 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 you're complaining. I'm saying Barry Bonds should be, should be the left fielder in Pittsburgh over Ralph Kiner. You're the – I know it's not your story, but you're the local guy. You need to rectify that. Come on. All right. I'll get on Adam Barry right after we're done podcasting. Which you can go do it now because – we're done podcasting. We're just going to end it there so Jonathan can go take care of that. Thanks for joining us for another Pipeline podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk more drafts and uh, all things prospects. Talk to you all later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.